0: Acts chapter 2, verse 36 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. How would you like to stand up in downtown Walla Walla with a crowd of people around you and say, Therefore let all of Walla Walla know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It's kind of the gist of you know, what's going on there in the middle of, except for there were thousands of people. So it'd be in the middle of the fair, maybe. You know? Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the gospel to both those who are seeking, who are wondering, asking questions, and to mockers. Something supernatural just happened. The Holy Spirit fell upon the church. They began speaking in foreign tongues, and the people are gathered there from all different places for that feast. They heard the praises of God being declared in their own language by these people from Galilee, these uneducated people. And two groups of people respond to this. The first found in verse 12, which says, And so they're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? That was the first group going, What in the world is going on? What does this mean? There would be those who are truly seeking truth in our society, those you run into when you're preaching the gospel, when you're living the gospel, when you're sharing Christ, they're going to go, what does this mean? What is, what's going on here? And the second are mockers. They're found in verse 13. And these are the ones somehow we're, we're afraid of, right? Mockers said, yeah, they're full of new wine. They've been drinking. And Peter goes, hey, it's, it's just nine in the morning. In that culture, they didn't drink at nine in the morning, all right? And when God shows up, brothers and sisters, and works in our in and through us and around us, there's going to be these two types of hearts represented, present around you. Can you see that in your life today? Okay, just me? I saw you, Judy. Awesome. All right, two of us. Cool, we're preaching. There's going to be those who are seeking more, who are wondering more, and there's going to be those who are rejecting and mocking. And like Peter, it's our call not to give them a bunch of ideas, but it's to point them to Jesus Christ, to the Word of God. To point them directly to Him. Not to a system, not to a religion, not to all the stuff, but point them to the Word. Point them to the Lord. The Word of God points people to Jesus Christ. Jesus, in, when, in that 40-day period, He was training His disciples, and what did He say to Him? He said, hey, people, look at Right here in the Word, this all in the Old Testament, that is all pointing to me. The words point to Jesus. People think that they look at the Bible and they have eternal life. The Bible does not give eternal life. Jesus Christ gives eternal life. It points to him. They are his words. So Peter, he responds to these people. He points them to to the word of God, which points people to Jesus in verses 14 through 21. And how does he do that? He points them to the prophet Joel and his prophecy concerning the day that they were actually experiencing The Holy Spirit fell, and people are going, what is this? Well, he points him to Scripture. He doesn't give them an idea. He goes, hey, this is what was written back here. What Joel said, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the people of the new covenant. And he ends that by saying that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Awesome. And then verses 22 through 25, he points to Jesus as their Messiah. His crucifixion, his death, and resurrection. He preaches the gospel. His crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. That's what he preaches. Verse 25-35, through he points out to their greatest king, King David, and how he prophesied the resurrection of the Messiah, that that person, that the Lord would not see corruption, but be seated at the right hand of God, the Father, until his enemies were made his footstool. And so, if you're a Jew and you're sitting here and you are a very religious person in that day and you are at a festival celebrating all these things, and you see this amazing event event go on and you're going, What's going on? And they start pointing to things in your past, your history, and he lines them all up, pointing to the person you just crucified was the fulfillment of all you're actually trying to do. That's what Peter's doing. That, In verse 36, Peter doesn't hold back and he gives them the truth of the matter. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified 50 days ago, both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. The Messiah that all of you religious people claim to be waiting for, the ones the prophets declared, the one Moses pointed to, you crucified him. You crucified him. He is both Lord and Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. He's alive. He's risen. He's waiting for the Father to make all his enemies his footstool. The significance of the bottom of the foot in in Eastern culture. We see that, you know, remember back in the Iraq wars, they take the sandal off and slap George Bush's face, you know, all that stuff the bottom of your foot is the most unclean part because it's you're trampling on dirt waiting for god to make his enemies his footstool and what is their respond response to this hey everybody Peter's saying this one you crucified guess where he is he's seated at the right hand of the father in heaven right now and that's the problem with, that each and every single person must face on earth our sin crucified Christ, we might look back to those people and say ah, you know, they sent, they, you know it was them, no it was our sin that put them there, the Bible's very clear about that we are by nature children of wrath, we are in opposition to God, enemies of God and our nat- he's our natural adversary Jesus Christ is seated on the throne this moment and will soon execute justice upon the entire world that by nature is rebellious and evil to its core. And that's what Peter preached to these mockers. Is that the gospel we preach? What gospel do we preach? We like the second half, don't we? This is what he preached to the seekers to the religious people seeking and the mockers all there now when they heard this this is their response they were cut to the heart this time they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do what are we gonna do And this is what the gospel does, brothers and sisters. And this is why people are being led to a false gospel when you avoid preaching the judgment and the wrath of God. I don't like to hunker down on the judgment and wrath of God, you know? I want to get out of there as quickly as possible, don't you? There ha- what is the purpose of being saved if you're not being saved from anything? Anyone? Salvation. What does God send Jesus to save us from? Bad feelings? saves us from the judgment of God, what our sinful nature is perpetual, who we are by nature. And this is the thing about salvation, God saving us. It is not from within us that we can be saved. What are the, you know, the, the new age movement, and all these different things. It's just, you know, let God arise within you. And, and it's something that you can get going inside yourself. There's nothing good inside of us by nature. And I know we have good people, but I'm talking about holy, pure, righteous Like Jesus, it just doesn't exist in us. Salvation has to come from outside, outside of us, saving us from who we are. This is what the gospel does. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It declares man guilty before a holy God with only one response of, what do I do? What can I do? I'm utterly and totally guilty and lost before a holy God with the expectation of God's justified wrath to come upon me. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Knowing how sinful you are, knowing that there's nothing, no reasonable explanation for your for that to be forgiven, your sins to be taken away man likes to try to do good things to outweigh those things. Sorry. You can't do enough good works to remove the dirt. Paul taught in Romans. Utterly guilty. What do we do? If we stop our preaching, if we stop there in our preaching of the gospel, we're not preaching the entire gospel. That's the good news. Amen. Gospel means good news. So that's the bad news, right? That sets us up for the good news. What do we do? I'm totally helpless. I can't do anything. But there's one who's done it for you. But in the same way, if we fail to point out the wrath and the justice of God, again, what are we being what are we people being saved from? No, we preach Christ crucified, risen and seated at the right hand of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through broken, redeemed people like Peter, like us. We preach Christ crucified not because we're better than anyone else, because we have been redeemed. We've been saved. We understand the fallen, broken nature that is within each one of us. And we say, oh, I was this. I was once lost, but now I'm found. A former uh, slave trader cried out, Praise the Lord. What must we do, they cried. Verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of, of, of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What grace! For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord or God will call, the full gospel, the gospel of grace. That is, Jesus, who is seated on the throne, whom we crucified and rebelled against, He died that we might live. He took our place and if we we believe upon him and he rose again and is with God just as we will rise again and be seated with God through faith in Jesus Christ. How merciful that the judge came down and took the punishment of his own sentence. You're all guilty. You're all going to be eradicated. I love you. I will take that for you. Will you accept it? No, but let me do enough good things that you will accept me. Let me go to church enough. You better be at church. Right? I'm not saying it's a get-out-of-jail-free pass, right? No, we're going to talk about that later. Like you can't do enough. There's nothing we can do. Jesus and equals hell. Jesus alone. His righteousness for my guilt. His forgiveness for my failure. And what do you do? You receive it. You just say thank you. It's from outside. And he gives it to you. Why? Because here's the other part of God. He's a God of love and desires mercy. But He has provided a way in which we receive His love and we receive His mercy and we receive His forgiveness. The only way to experience any of that is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. No other way. No good works. No going to church enough. All this the stuff. Nothing. Just receive it by faith. And then you are born again, the scriptures teach. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is what we need, a new nature, no longer children of wrath, the Spirit of God now dwelling in us. That is what being a Christian is. And so Peter says, hey, repent, be baptized. And so what does it mean to have faith in God? How are we saved? And Peter said it, repent. And this is what happens in our hearts we agree with what God says about us, and we change our lives accordingly. You can't have, you can't just agree. It has to have an action that follows it, and that's, we're not saved by the action, but the action is the proof that it's happened. Does that make sense? We're not saved by the action, but the action is the proof that it happened. we got to get that right, because people go, oh, we're saved by what we do. No, that's proof that you are saved. That's why saying going to church is proof that you are in the Spirit, not just saying that, you know, if I do, It's fruit. Loving people is proof that the Holy Spirit is in you. Am I getting with you? Giving is a response because God has changed your heart about the kingdom. These are fruits. They are not the reason why. Going and sharing your faith with people is a fruit because guess what? Jesus is inside you, and Jesus wants to share his faith with others, doesn't he? That's what happens. And so what we try to do in church is say, hey, raise your hands, you know? Or clap or bark or do it. Just get going and get the feelings going and then it'll happen. Now There might be a little truth to that, but what happens truly is God gets a hold of our heart. He doesn't do the behavior modification first. He gets a hold of our heart and then things start to change. And so we preach to the heart. We preach to the heart. We preach to the heart. That's what we do. See someone acting weird and doing all these crazy things? Stop doing that. Yes, you want to talk about stop doing that. Definitely, brothers and sisters who are in the Lord, but you want to preach to the heart. What's going on? They need more Jesus in their life. They need to be closer to the Lord. They need that. I need that. More Jesus. And as they get close to the Lord, the other things start to just I start to become more like him. And the other things fall away. And how many of you know you struggle back and forth between your new life and your old life? Yeah, flesh and the spirit. That war. And so we have to, by faith, crucify the flesh. I'm crucified with Christ, and Matt no longer lives, but Christ now lives in me. Okay, Lord, I'm letting that happen today. Have your way. And I become more like Jesus. If I fail to do that, default back to evil Matt. Anyways, I don't know how I got there, but Peter said repent. That's right. It begins in the heart with faith. And faith is shown by our actions, changing what we do to line up with what, who he is and what he says. He says, and the, the first way that we demonstrate this is by being baptized. Baptize. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And I know there's a big discussion there. I want to stay at the heart of it. Being baptized, saying, God, I believe that you lived, you died, you rose again so that I might die to myself and live for you by your spirit. Fully identifying with the Lord that first obedient step. And So, Jesus invites any of you who have said, hey, I want to follow you and you haven't been baptized, be baptized. Be fully immersed, dunked in the water. Say, I'm all in. I want to follow you, Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Invitation to repent from dead works to the living God. Invitation to walk in the newness of life. This is what God desires to give you in Jesus Christ. So Peter preached the gospel to the seekers and to the mockers, and the power is in the gospel. It wasn't in Peter. We know Peter. He he's, can bail out on things. He has a big heart, but he blows it a lot. Anybody? Yeah, and so Peter, he gets up there and he starts preaching the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The power is in the gospel, not in Peter. The power is in the message. It's the Holy Spirit working through Peter, and people are changed. And the Lord is calling us to be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and to allow Him to baptize us and to fill us with Himself, the Spirit of Jesus. And if Jesus is in us, I have to ask, you know, do I preach the gospel that Jesus preached? If Jesus is in me, do I do I speak the truth that that Jesus spoke, which was hard at times? Do I love like Jesus loved? I and mean, we need to, and this is why Paul exhorts people in 2nd Thessalonians, grow in that, grow in your love. It's something we grow in. So look to Jesus, church, study Jesus, mimic Jesus. Verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation and I went off on that last week. We live in a perverse generation. So Peter went on that day continually preaching. And what was the result of him preaching the gospel and speaking to the culture of what was going on and bringing the light of God into it? Verse 41, and those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and now they had a different problem. <laughs> What's, how are we going to administrate all these things? What's going on? So it just immediately flips over to something else. But did everyone accept the word? No, just as those who did. And those were 3,000. Not everybody's going to receive the word of God. But those who gladly did, they responded, and their first response was baptism. I was baptized when I was seven. I remember I came to the Lord when I was four. Baptized when I was seven. It was just an amazing experience, and the Holy Spirit fell upon me. I don't know what it was then, but I know it now. And it's just the sweetest thing. The Lord is so good. I didn't have all the theological understanding, but the Lord, he knew me, didn't he? It was awesome. So talk to your kids about this stuff. Sense and pray. See what the Lord was. 3,000 were added that day, and what was the result of their new life in Christ, being forgiven and receiving the Holy Spirit? What happens when people get saved? Their lives change. Their priorities changed. The things that ruled them before no longer rule them before. The friends that they hang out with before that were evil and pulling them down, they no longer hang out with them anymore. That's not their life. Money does not preoccupy them. You can just go down the list. Jesus is the preoccupation. His kingdom is the preoccupation. That's it. And however he wants that expressed. And we see it here in the New Testament church. Verse uh, 42. This is their response. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And from a very worldly perspective, a fleshy perspective, I have to say boring. Oh, let's go be a monk all day. That is not what it's like. That has nothing to do with what it's like. It is immeasurably more rich than anything the world has to offer. But it goes against the old man, the sinful nature, to live like this, to live in response to the grace of God. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. The next few verses explain what this looked like. But I first, I want to explain the meaning of each of these four important responses in, their li- in the lives of re- believers, these four little areas here. The first is they continued steadfastly, so maybe five here. But some versions say they devoted themselves. And brothers and sisters, this was a result of God's grace in their lives. They were once enemies, but now they were sons and daughters, and so now their lives no longer revolved around the activities and preoccupations that they once had. But rather, they were preoccupied with the Lord, his people, his kingdom, his mission. Period. That is the type of people they were. Were they tent makers? Yes. Were they people who dealt in purple? Were they in the community? Of course. But their preoccupation, their mind, their heart was, God, what are you doing? How can you use me? How can I glorify you? How can I show? How can you use me? Just what have you given me? What is... And you're seeking the Lord for this constantly. That's the kind of people they were, like Paul. And they had to grow in this. They had to learn how to do this. It wasn't easy for them. But they were preoccupied with the Lord. And I have to ask myself, as I look at these brothers and sisters and what their lives looked like after being saved and how they responded, how they devoted themselves, is my life like this? Or if I, like these people, initially received the word with joy, but soon after, allowed the cares of the world to choke the fruit out of their lives. As we get to Revelation. Cares of the world choking the joy out of their lives. How many of you lack joy in your life? Okay, cool, Fred. (laughs) Fellow elder, I'm like, come on, man. No, i was kidding. Anyone lack, lack joy in your life? Seriously, you walk around miserable all the time, grouchy. Anybody okay, A couple of you A couple of confessing? Some of the time, yeah. What like, cares the world choking your life out? I don't know. It seems like that to me in my life. In friends, this 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 heart, it can't be coerced or manipulated into people. In my own heart, the choice to be in the word together, to spend time together, to eat together, to pray together, to share the gospel, to make disciples, all these things must be a response in our hearts to the command of Jesus in light of his grace. It's a, it's a heart response. It's a choice. It's a will thing. He gets into you and says, I've saved you, and our response is love. That is why we do what we do. His heart becomes our heart. It is not so that we will be accepted by him. It's because we have been accepted by him. It is a response. The grace flows through us to others. Again, it can't be coerced. It's something that's grown in us. This group of our brothers and sisters, back then, they chose to devote themselves to the Lord and to each other. They continued steadfastly without wavering. Next, they were in the Apostles' Doctrine. They didn't have the latest version of the NIV. They didn't have Internet. They had to sit around these guys and listen to them teach. And this wasn't a one-sided conversation like we're having right now. There was a lot of questions going back and forth as they would bring up Scripture. You know, and Peter and James and John and all the boys, they'd, they'd have to rotate and go different places and do different things. There was administration that was happening. We didn't understand. We don't see all the picture. And they'd have long responses. And people would cut them off and fall out windows and, I mean... Read, we'll read in Acts where people are just like, oh my gosh, this guy's going on and on, and they fell out a window and died. They had to go resurrect them. I understand, I've been on the other side of this. But there was a hunger and a thirst for righteousness to know God and to make him known. There was a hunger and thirst. There was a deep desire to learn how. How does this work in my life? How do I love the one who first loved them? And how do I love you more, Lord? And how how now do I live as your child in this world? How do I do this? You're now my father, and I'm in a foreign land now. How do I represent you? How does this work? What do I do when I fail? What do I do when other people fail me? What do I do when with the unlovable? How do I treat my enemies? How does being a kid from another planet, another kingdom, work? Now that I'm here, I've been born again. Got a new creation. His spirit is now living with me, in me. God, now how do I live? And they had to sit around these guys, these apostles who were teaching them because they had been with Jesus. And we go to the Word. They were in the Apostles' Doctrine. Here it is. That is how we figure out how to do life. We go to the Word and we hang out with people who have been in the Word and been around Jesus and we ask them questions. Are you having that going on in your life? Or we quickly flip on the TV to find the answers, or Google it. Nothing wrong with googling. I like googling. They're watching you, though. But I just, <laughs> just playing with you. Come on. I did you wake up. But do we have that kind of community going on? They were in the Word together, steadfastly. Have you lost this? Is your Bible dusty? Do you know it all? Have you reached the teenage stage in your in your Christian walk? I was like, yeah. I know it, Lord. Got it. Got it, Dad. Just give me the keys. Let me drive this thing off a cliff. I know I have at times. They were steadfast in the word together. Next fellowship, the word is koinonia, and this is a real emphasis here. This is not the Greek word for potluck, just to let you know. Although it does not exclude it, I <laughs> just want you to know. Koinonia is deeply rooted in the idea of sharing with someone else. The idea, so words associated with this, the way they had to try to, they had to pick one word, fellowship, they're trying to translate it into our language, and it's associ. the words associated are fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, intercourse. There's an exchange going on. An intimate exchange between people. Right? That's the idea of fellowship. This is this koinonia. So the the idea of fellowship is a lot deeper than just spending time with each other. And eating food together. That's part of it, isn't it? Is it not? Right? You can't have fellowship if you're not... With someone, so yes, hanging out. But it's a lot deeper. It has at the very core its its core is is giving to one another, seeking in ways to where you can give to one another. And we see this in verse forty four. What does verse forty four say up there? Uh, Chapter two, verse forty four. Yeah, he's talking about. And all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. And they sold their property, possessions to give to anyone who is in need. They had fellowship. They were seeing needs and they were meeting them within the context of their community. That was what was going on in the early church. That is the idea of koinonia. But they were so moved by the grace and love of God in their lives. If they saw a brother or sister hurting, they could not help but reach out and meet that need. They couldn't help but reach out and meet that need. They saw something lacking, and they reached out and they met it. They did whatever it took as a community to take care of them. And by the way, this is not limited to material possessions, but it is a practical demonstration of their faith and proof that the love of Christ was in them. Read John, 1 John chapter 1. If you see someone in need and you, and, and, and you have the means to take care of it, but you don't, the love of Christ is not in you. John's speaking in absolutes. Read First John 1. But I have to think in this context of fellowship, koinonia, that the gifts of the Spirit were and are to operate. This is the context of koinonia and fellowship, that God has given me something that you don't have. And so I am seeking a way to give it to you. And by the way, although this is a, a prominent gift within the church, we, we, we prioritize the Word of God It is not the only gift. And I am lacking totally what you have. I am void of it. I do not have it. And God has given it to you in this community so that I might be edified through you. Do you see how that works? Each one of you has been graced with a gift from God so that you might, as Peter talks about, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or 13, I I can't remember, he says, eagerly seek spiritual gifts. Why? Because it's a way to love each other, to build up each other. That is the context. He says, that's why tongues, it's not really building up anybody, so Be quiet. Do it at home or you have to have an interpreter, but seek prophecy and seek these things that would really help one another out. This context of fellowship, koinonia, so it was more than a potluck, more than hanging out. It was getting together in the Spirit of the Lord, praying, being in the Word, all these types of things, and they were looking for ways to give. And they were also being met in the same way. So materially, spiritually, whatever it was, they were just givers of God's love. They were conduits of what God was doing. Isn't that powerful? So, fellowship, koinonia, pretty big. Hebrews ten twenty three 23-25 sits heavy with me regarding koinonia. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one one another on towards love and good works. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's why we gather together. So we could encourage one another. We're almost done. Next, the breaking of bread. Scholars are divided on this as to whether it means communion or just eating food. I think it means both. First Corinthians, you see them getting together and they got ripped apart by Paul because of what they were doing. People who were more uh, esteemed in the fellowship would go and eat first. And while they were pushing aside, the people who were poor and it was called the Lord's Supper. So I think that they kind of took the idea of Passover, sitting down having a meal and having the cup and the bread all a part of the meal was a part of the Lord's Supper. And basically they were abusing it and they had to have correction. And so they were having the breaking of bread. <clears throat> Could mean just eating together. That's fine. Could mean the Lord's Supper. Either way, they were doing it. They're hanging out together. No doubt they were having communion. No doubt they're eating together. Because it tells us that in just a verse or two. And lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. I've shared extensively about prayer in the past. I did a three part series of prayer in August 2010, as well as uh, teaching on Luke 11 and other places. But we see practically how the early church was a church of prayer. Jesus told them, hey, go to Jerusalem and wait. And the very first thing, the very first action we see of the disciples in the New Covenant Church is in one chapter 1, verse 14. It says they, they, they returned, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplications with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with all his brothers. They were all crying out to God, praising him, asking him for the Spirit, for themselves, praying for others and for his will. Their example is left for us. We have a, a, a prayer meeting, first Sunday after every church. We meet before service to pray for, for, pray for you. We meet at home fellowships when the home fellowships are going on. They meet together. <clears throat> but I must say, in all these areas of Acts two forty two, we have room to improve, don't we? It all comes down to the heart, reprioritizing our lives towards His kingdom. guess what? When that happens, I come face-to-face with the cross. Because the Lord is quite often saying, I want you to give something. I want you to give up something. I want you to rearrange something. Go sell your money and give it to the poor. I don't want to do that, Lord. I'm very rich. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, I want to follow you, Lord, but hey, you know, it's it got this inconvenience. Let my dad die first. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. We each have that thing in our lives that would keep us um, just from putting him first. I don't know how to describe it. From the things we, you know, we have good lives, but God wants us to have great lives. He wants us to have the best. It doesn't mean circumstances are going to be wonderful all the time. But we each come face to face to this. And, you know, the elders have been praying, discussing plans for the summer, as Gary mentioned, and as I mentioned last week, our church is starting Acts 242 Summer Fellowships. They're summer fellowships. It's just the church getting together on Wednesday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. through June, starting this Wednesday, through the end of the summer, through August. Every Wednesday, for you and your family to come out and to fellowship, to experience Acts 242. <clears throat> and immediate in your mind, what's in your mind? And I want you to take that before the Lord and pray. Because that is the very thing I'm talking about. And I'm not saying if you're not here, you're not spiritual, all that stuff. I'm just saying, take those things that say, I can't because I'm rich. I can't because my daughter. I can't because... Take them to the Lord. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just trying to say, I think the Lord is leading us in this as a church. And guess who you are? You're the church. You know... Our focus is bringing families of the church together every Wednesday to experience that koinonia we're talking about. I know summer, we all travel. I'm going to be gone. Everybody's going to be gone. I understand that. But I trust that the Lord has already been working. He already has something in mind. He sees a, a situation. He goes, now, I wonder what you're going to do about that. How are we going to do this? Oh, no, I, I don't have any fish. I don't have any loaves. I don't have the time. I don't. Here you go, Jesus. This is your sweet church. We believe this is what you're doing. Where are you going? And we want to see you multiply. We want to see you feed. We want to see you lifted up. So, to come out, devote yourself to Koinonia on Wednesday nights. The Word, the fellowship, breaking of bread. It's going to be different than this. I'm not going to be speaking from a pulpit. We'll have interaction and all that type of stuff. And, We're taking a step of faith with the youth, with Nick. Elders have asked Nick and Gary. Nick's going to intern with our youth this summer, working alongside Gary and myself a little bit. If you haven't received a call from them, you will, so don't be scared. But I would encourage you, family with kids, to bring your kids out on Wednesday nights. It's going to be chaos at first. We'll figure it out. It'll be okay. Families do that six to eight on Wednesday nights all through summer, but it doesn't stop there, you know. I'm going to invite my whole block. I've got, how many kids are out there playing with John and Ruth? We've got like 10 and 15 kids. I don't know what it is. It depends, like it goes from five to, I mean, we've been developing a relationship with these people for a long time and hanging out with them, going places, and we're going to invite them all out, all the kids. Who knows if they'll come or not, but I'm going to take a step and say, hey, you want to come out and hang out and have a lot of fun and learn about Jesus, I have cards in the back. They're next to the box. If you feel like, you know what, I want to take a step of faith and I want to invite someone, take the little silly thing I made and hand it to someone invite them. Adults and kids, it doesn't make a difference. So remember, when you take that step of faith, there's always going to be mockers and there's always going to be seekers. Just expect it. Expect resistance, expect warfare, expect the flesh, expect blah, 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 blah. But we are to be people of the Spirit and start taking ground for the Lord. And I believe the Lord's calling us to it, Acts 2.42, summer, with our families and with our youth, and see what God will do. Yes, we're going to kick it off with a potluck this Wednesday, woo! Woo! The, if in, I need to know who's going. Who's going to be there this Wednesday? Everybody raise your hand. Uh, okay, okay. We've got like, okay, we've got several of you. Okay, so real quickly, I need just kind of an idea right now while the rest of you are, are discussing. Hands up. Okay. one other, right, okay. All right, Byron, you counted all those people. Just because I need to provide like the main dish, okay? we got the numbers thing in the bulletin. If your name is A through Q, you know, you're responsible for everything. I don't know what it is. You guys can figure it out. So this first night will be a night of eating and getting to know one another and orientating to what the Lord is going to be doing. And so if you're interested, I want you to bug me. If you're interested, I want you to bug Nick uh, with the youth. The church is going to provide, you know, like I said, the main dish and the drinks. But this is for you and your entire family, the neighbors, the coworkers, whoever you have. So please join us. And I understand there's going to be days you can't be there, all that stuff. I understand but I want you to take steps, reprioritize your life, put the Lord back in the middle, back in the middle, and he'll take care of the rest. We're so dominated by the culture and what everybody else wants around us. Seek the Lord. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The fear of the Lord fell upon them all. Listen, brothers and sisters, we're ending. The wonder and the majesty and the reality of the presence and power and the grace and the love of God was upon each of them. They were experiencing this and it was working in and through them and there were miracles that were happening around. It was awesome. And we need some miracles. They were very conscious that God was alive and he was present. Verse 44. Now all believed were together and they had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among as anyone had need. They had koinonia. They had that deep fellowship. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food, with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. Where were they gathering? In the temple and in the homes. That's what the church was. They're gathering at CCF, the building, and they were gathering in people's homes. And we pray at the end of the summer, we'll reconvene our home fellowships and see what God does. I'm excited about it. Excited about it. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody was at church every day. It just means that every day of the week, people were gathering together. Every day, there was something going on. I pray that that's what happens to this facility. I pray that that's what happens to our homes, that they get so gloriously out of control, that so people are so filled with the love of God, they're so involved in their community and pulling people, and they can't help that Jesus is living in and through them, that we've got a problem, and it's his to deal with. He builds the church. We say, where do I go? And let that heart of Jesus be in us. Don't be afraid to step out. Don't be afraid to encourage people. So, one, are you coming? to who you invite? Think beyond yourself. Take a step of faith. Cards are in the back. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you build your church. This last verse, the result of all of your grace upon them and your spirit upon us, says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Lord, would you add to this group, this fellowship, daily those who are being saved? Not for numbers' sake, God. We want numbers. We want numbers of people who are saved and going to be in your kingdom forever and ever and ever, whether they go here or to some other church in the town. God, we want people to know you and to love you eternally. That God, use us to look beyond ourselves, to look beyond our own families, to look beyond our own walls, break down that hardness of our heart and show us the world that you see around you and the children that need you and the families that need you. May you do this in and through us, and may we be that Acts church, 2 church, not just doing the functions, but let it be a heart thing, a true response, and guide us in all of it. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen.